Hi everyone, this is Sally and welcome to another episode of A to Easy. So today's episode is slightly different in that it's really aimed at foundation doctors, specifically FY1s, and we have a very, very special guest with us who I will introduce in just a few moments. So today's episode is all about Horus, which is the portfolio platform used for all foundation doctors working in England. It's big, it's clunky, but unfortunately it is mandatory to use in order to pass your annual review of competence progression or ARCP at the end of each foundation year. If you don't pass your ARCP, you might need to spend even longer being an F1 and it might cause a few problems later down the line. So it's important to know how to do Horus really well, but that isn't as easy to do as it sounds. Let's just go back to a few basics. So why is it important to do Horus really well? Well, as I just mentioned, number one is because you need to complete it or at least complete certain parts in order to pass your ARCP and progress through your career. The second reason that you need to know how to do it well is because actually it's your responsibility to. You have supervisors, educational supervisors, clinical supervisors when you become a foundation doctor, but their responsibility is to complete it with you, not for you. And thirdly, and the most important reason, like it's important to do Horus well because it has been designed in order to make you a better doctor. It's literally a summary of all of your learning, all of your experiences over your foundation years and reflecting on this, evidencing it, mapping it will actually make you appreciate the skills that you have, work on them, work to improve yourself as a doctor and make you a better doctor in the long run. I did, however, also just want to add a few caveats before we get down to business. So <laughs> as I said, it's big and it's clunky in its own right. So actually describing it and talking about it feels quite clunky as well at the same time. I'd suggest that if you're a foundation doctor and you're listening to this and you have a laptop in front of you, I would just open Horus at the moment, like right now, so that as we talk about different elements of it, maybe you can like navigate through Horus yourself and see what that looks like in real time. The second caveat about this episode is that this is a pretty quick and a pretty broad overview. For more detail and the nitty gritty, I would really recommend looking at some of the PDF guides to Horus, which can be found on the UKFP website. We've linked a few of them in the episode description so that you can have a look at them now. And also remember, another source of guidance is your, you know, your local foundation school. So you've got your postgrad team, you have got your supervisors, they should have had training in how to use Horus. They're all real people that you can reach out to. And again, it is their job to help you to understand what to do. But that's all over. So now let's just get down to the useful stuff. Before I move on to our special guest, let's just recap what the Horus portfolio is actually made up of e.g. what you need to complete over this year as an F1. The point of the Horus portfolio is to show that over F1 you have achieved 12 very specific higher learning objectives or HLOs. You can see what these HLOs are under portfolio and then clicking the curriculum tab on the website. I'd really recommend that when you're looking at these because it's pretty like I don't know neutral sort of bland language that's used for each HLO. Um, sorry, I'm recording this in my flat and there's a siren going by outside. But yeah, I'd really recommend that when you are looking at these HLOs, you use the descriptors view, which is an, a little button on the top right of the page, because this gives you actually bullet points of what they're looking for as part of each HLO. And I think that really helps to put them into context about what you do every day as a foundation doctor. 
and how this links back to the kind of bland language that they use for each one. So the aim of Horace is to prove that you have achieved all of these HLOs, these high learning objectives, and therefore are a nice and a safe doctor. So how do we prove this? Well, we evidence, and we evidence content. For your ARCP, there is some content that is mandatory, and there is some content which is optional or additional. We're going to go through the mandatory stuff in quite a lot of detail, because obviously that's most important. Number one, mandatory evidence are your educational supervisor and your clinical supervisor meetings. You need to have one for the beginning and the end of each rotation. These will include review of things like your professional development plan or PDP. So if your supervisor says, what's your PDP? You're like, I don't know, what's my PDP? It's your professional development plan. What do you want to get out of each placement? Ideally written at the beginning of each placement or each rotation. So then you can reflect on it together with your supervisor at the end of each rotation. Your supervisor meetings will also cover things like your curriculum narratives and the other portfolio content, which we'll talk about more in a moment. I just want to say really early on, if you are struggling to meet with your supervisor, your educational or your clinical, or when you meet with them, they're not really using Horus, they don't know how to use it, they're not logging in, they're not submitting forms to evidence that you've met with them, raise this immediately, raise it first with the supervisor, and then if that's not working, raise it with your postgrad team and keep escalating all the way up to maybe the TPD of your of your local trust. It's, it is their job to do this, to sign off some things and to, to help you evidence your portfolio. And it unfortunately will have really serious implications for your career if they don't do that part of their role. Other mandatory content of your Horus portfolio for your ARCP includes your placement supervision group or PSG, one per year. We'll talk about more about that in a moment. Your team assessment of behaviour or TAB Again, at least one each year, and we'll talk more about this later. And supervised learning events, which in themselves include case-based discussions or CBDs and mini clinical evaluation exercises or mini CEXs. SLEs cover other things as well, uh, which we'll mention in the optional additional, but the main bulk are your CBDs and your mini CEXs. Couple more mandatory elements. So you've got your personal learning log, talk about this more later and then there's a couple of like mandatory certificates that they ask for in f1 at the moment i think it's just a psa certificate and um, i think in f2 it gets more like als and that kind of thing but that should be quite clear on the horse portfolio what they expect you to upload and then the r form the r form is mandatory but not to be filled out until towards the end because this is you filling out any serious incidents that have happened over the year detailing your sick leave things of that nature it's not an assessment it's more of um sort of a record that they'll use to corroborate with their own records of the same things. So that's quite a lot. Um, mainly it's quite a lot of acronyms. And I'm going to try and like use both terms as much as possible throughout. But that's, that's why Horus can feel really non-intuitive because they chuck in loads of acronyms really early. And most of your supervisors and your senior colleagues will just expect you to know what this means and how they all fit in. We're just going to circle back to a couple of those mandatory elements very quickly because I do think they're worth a little bit of thinking. So as I said, apart from your supervisor meetings, your two main feedback items are mandatory to evidence on your Horus are your placement supervision group, your PSG, and the team assessment of behaviour, the TAB. These are similar but different. The PSG is organised by your clinical supervisor for that specific rotation. 
What it involves is your clinical supervisor identifying at least three members of the clinical team and using Horus to request feedback from them about you. It's recommended that these minimum three people have different roles in the team, you know, like a nurse in charge, registrar, maybe one of the pharmacists, but that's actually not compulsory for the PSG. There just has to be a minimum of three responses. Mine have always been a mixture of consultants and registrars, mainly because that's who my supervisors have known email addresses of and kind of felt comfortable to ask for feedback. Meanwhile, the tab is another sort of MDT feedback tool, but it's organized by you. You have to identify a minimum of 10 colleagues and request feedback via Horus. Again, it's specific to a specific rotation. And the person specification for the tab is really, really strict. Details it all on Horus, but it's like minimum two consultants, minimum two band five nurses, and so on. You actually can't ask more than two foundation doctors. So it means you can't just ask your friends or your cohort. And in that way, it's really good because it gives you proper 360 degree feedback. My main advice for both the PSG and the tab is to try and get them in your first rotation and get collecting those email addresses early. If you have a great interaction with a member of the MDT, just say afterwards, oh, would you mind if I sent you a link for some feedback about this particular case we've worked on together? It doesn't necessarily need to be towards the end of your placement. It's still feedback from that interaction, that time you had working with that colleague. Remind your CS about the placement supervision group as soon as is polite to do, essentially, and press them at your end of placement CS meeting to check it's actually been completed and they've actually signed the form. It's quite a new thing. I think it's only really formally introduced a couple of years ago. So sort of supervisors have been doing it a long time for them. It will still feel quite something they might forget quite easily to do or might not know how to navigate to on the Horus platform. And that can be something you can really help prompt with. And, you know, nobody likes filling in feedback forms. We've all avoided feedback forms before, but you really don't want to be relying on people's goodwill and people's memory come May with only two weeks into your ARCP. So try and get a tab and a PSG in your first rotation And just remember the tab is your responsibility and a PSG is your clinical supervisor's responsibility. Now jumping back to thinking about supervised learning events or SLEs, as I said, the two most common are your case-based discussions and your mini cases. These are a great way to reflect on any learning experience. If you clerked in a new patient with a reg, ask for a mini cax. If there's a patient with an interesting presentation on the ward round, ask your consultant if they'd fill out a CBD for it. Leadership roles and teaching experiences can also be evidenced as supervised learning events. And there's no minimum for your SLEs per rotation. The main thing is at the end of the year, this is what you're going to use to show that you have met every single one of the higher learning outcomes or objectives, the HLOs. UKFP kind of recommend, therefore, it's good to have maybe three to five SLEs per HLO to show that you've really sort of done a well-rounded evidence of that specific learning objective. And again, this is when it's useful to look at the descriptors view of the learning objectives to get the full bullet point list of what they're looking for. I would say that when you first start off as an F1, just get any and every supervised learning event you can, because if you meet a nice senior who likes to do feedback and teaching sessions, like, you know, make use of that. It doesn't matter if it can be for quite samey experiences, it doesn't matter if they're a registrar or not consultant, like get some bulk in early because that will teach you how to actually reflect and therefore how to identify good learning experiences as you move through the year. Remember, it is variable. Some people love doing this kind of thing, being being a teacher uh, for you, and, and some will roll their eyes at the minute you say Horus. 
Another thing to remember is that anyone with a GMC can sign the supervised learning event. Um, for example, around a third of my SLEs in F1 were actually signed by nice F2s who signed a little SLE when we interpreted an ECG together. It is obviously good to get a few signed by consultants as well. At your end of your first rotation, so probably about this point in the year, you can start mapping your supervised learning events to your HLOs. And this is tedious, but helpful because that allows you to identify gaps. So for example, my first rotation was infectious diseases, and this was great for HLOs around clinical assessment and prioritisation of physical health conditions, but not so much mental health conditions. I also didn't do any quality improvement projects in my first rotation, which is HLO 9, mainly because I was learning how to you know, survive and eat lunch and, and manage a personal life as well as work, and as everyone does when they start F1. But I knew, therefore, I needed to kind of prioritise finding a project quite early in my second rotation to complete equip to fulfil HLO 9 by the time of the ARCP in May. And so on. Identifying gaps early saves you a lot of stress at the end of the year. And then once you've done some mapping, so you've been mapping your SLEs to your HLOs, you can make a start on your curriculum summary narrative. This can be filled in at any point in the year, but some supervisors like to see it at regular intervals. Your educational supervisor might review it with you when you do your end of placement meetings throughout the year, or your clinical supervisor at the end of rotation might ask to see it. And again, reflecting on how each rotation has gone really does make you a better doctor and, and sort of motivate you to, to build on skills and to sort of improve on areas of weakness in your next rotation. I found the UKFP example of a curriculum summary narrative incredibly helpful. So again, have a look at the links in the episode descriptions for that. Okay, we're nearly there, but I do now just want to talk briefly about the personal learning log, which, as I mentioned before, is also another mandatory part of your ARCP. So in the learning log, learning is split into core and non-core hours. And at the time of speaking in F1, you needed a minimum of 30 hours of core learning across the year and a minimum of 60 hours of total learning across the year. So I guess you could say a minimum of 30 core and then a minimum of 30 non-core. Non-core is easy to log. This is any departmental teaching, journal clubs, audit meetings, webinars, even personal study and reading can be logged as non-core. For example, if you're studying for a medical exam. Core, however, is very specific and therefore very important to prioritise going to and to log as you go. At the time of recording, only sim sessions, prescribing training or foundation year teaching could actually count towards these 30 hours. The foundation year teaching for you guys, it's that once a week teaching provided by the trust which follows the FY curriculum and therefore not to be confused with departmental teaching. It's usually once a week, it's probably on Zoom, it might be shared with other hospitals in the trust. So I hope you know kind of which teaching I'm talking about. Just note, to log 30 hours of this kind of core teaching is really hard when you only have this foundation year teaching once a week. Think about zero days, nights, annual leave. You're probably not in the hospital 30 Tuesdays out of 52, for example, if your teaching's on a Tuesday. So really make sure you attend whenever you can and log your SIM training, log your prescribing training. If you are unable to attend your core teaching because your ward is too busy or things like MDTs are scheduled over it, raise this as soon as possible with the postgrad team. This is not just affecting your learning, this is affecting your ARCP and therefore your career progression. And that's kind of it for the core. So in summary, very briefly and broadly, if you have all of your clinical supervisor, educational supervisor meetings logged, a completed PSG and tab, one at least one per year, some nicely mapped SLEs, supervised learning events, 
and your 60 hours of teaching, including a minimum 30 hours of core, you should be okay for the ARCP come May. But why stop there? As I said, the Horus platform is good in that there are a lot of random other things you can evidence on it. So definitely take some time to have a browse and see what else you can put on there. It's all good. It all shows that you're engaged um, and working towards becoming the best doctor you can be. As I mentioned before, there are separate uh, supervised learning event forms for teaching and leadership. There's even a separate form within the teaching forms for just bedside teaching or teaching medical students. So this means you can evidence everything from a journal club presentation to running a grand round to simply chatting to some medical students about, you know, how to manage chronic pancreatitis. There are also forms for directly observed procedures or DOPS. And again, at time of speaking, at time of writing, these can be anything from venipuncture to a surgical procedure and there are actually no mandatory core skills for FY at all. I found it quite fun to sort of evidence, you know, some of the more exciting things I got to do as an F1. Like I got to do a lumbar puncture and that was really cool to evidence as a directly observed procedure and talk about at my end of year educational supervisor meeting. This is also a great time for the F2s to come in handy. Like no one's going to complain about signing you off a vena puncture and it can't, can't hurt to show that you can do the basic skills as well as the more unusual ones. As I mentioned just a moment ago, one of the higher learning objectives is quality improvement and there's a specific form to log any audit work that you've done. And there are even forms to evidence taster weeks and research. And lastly, before we go to our special guest, a note on reflections. These are not really mandatory, there's no minimum number, but they are really useful in several ways. Firstly, um, as I think our guest will talk about in a moment, they can be used to plug gaps in your mapping especially in more nuanced areas such as breaking bad news, HLO3, managing personal well-being, HLO7, or thinking about difficult communication situations, HLO8. And secondly, as I've now said many times, reflecting on your work, it will make us better doctors. It helps us to process the hard things, celebrate the good things, and ultimately learn from our own practice. So I'd like to introduce you to our very, very special guest, Jess. Jess, do you want to maybe introduce yourself and tell us about yourself? Uh, yeah, so my name's Jess. I am currently in F3 and I worked with Sally last year when I was in F2. And the reason that she's invited me to talk today is because at the end of my F1, I actually got the prize for my hospital for my portfolio. So hopefully that means I know a thing or two about how to successfully complete it. Amazing. Yes, I did not win a prize from my hospital for my portfolio in F1. So hence why, hence why Jess has very kindly given us some time today to give us some advice. You know, Jess, we like to keep things nice and light here on A to Easy. So can we have a fun fact from you, please? Okay. I've been thinking hard, but I think a fun fact is that I really like novelty socks. I think Sally <laughs> might remember this about me. So I... Um, I'm just very keen on wearing fun socks every day. And if I can make them related to what I'm doing in the day, then I will. Today, they're not actually that related. They're bright yellow socks with chickens on them. But um, <laughs> generally, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm a big fan of fun socks. So, Yeah, no, it, it was a strong look because we were both wearing burgundy scrubs on our job in F2. And there's not a lot that really goes with burgundy socks wise so I always admired Jess's sock choice it's very strong very independent yeah yeah very stand striking out. yeah stand out <laughs> um and I'm sure those people are now thinking what are you doing for your F3 give us some inspiration so I'm 
gone slightly rogue, I guess. I'm doing a master's in health data science at LSHTM. Um, I'm a big fan of coding. I think data and digital things is the future, are the future. So uh, that's why I'm doing it. Uh, and it's also nice to have a little change of pace and a change of scene from after doing foundation. Yeah, no, sounds very relatable. Cool. Okay, well, first of all, we've talked about it a little bit already, but just why, why do you think it's actually important to put a bit of effort into doing Horus beyond prizes and putting stuff in your CV? Like, why do you think it's important? So I think you need to take quite a practical approach about it first. And what people might not know is that when you have your ARCP in the summer, you're not in the room. You actually don't really know when it's even happening. And so what you put in your Horus portfolio is literally the only representation of you that there is. So if you don't do your portfolio well enough or you don't do it in a way that represents you, then you you can't defend that. That you know you're not in the room. No one who knows you is in the room. It's just the people looking at your portfolio. So, I think if you think about it that way, it's a really a really valuable um, thing to consider throughout the year when you're creating it. Generally, I think it's also helpful. It's a log of your achievements. It means that after two hectic years, when you count F two as well, um, if you need to reflect on what you've done or prove evidence of doing certain things, it's a really good starting point. Um, and it's quite helpful actually to have one unified place to put all of your achievements and if you use the portfolio to its maximum potential then you can actually put a lot of your additional achievements in it which is helpful when you go to apply for things later on. Finally portfolios are used throughout your medical career so this is not just um, a phenomenon of the foundation program every single specialty or core training program has its own portfolio and even as a consultant, you still have to prove what you've done, I think, every five years in your appraisal. So you might as well get used to it now. So it's important to take it seriously now because it's not going to go away anytime soon. And so if you get good of it in your first couple of years, it means hopefully later down the line you won't run into trouble. Yeah, no, I really resonate with that, actually, as an FT, because I think in F1, where you're kind of just getting to grips with what, how Horus works, and then actually reflecting on everything you do, which is not something I was really asked to do as a medical student. It felt torturous and it felt really long-winded and it felt mm-hmm. hard to see why it was necessary. But now as an FT, I'm actually just so grateful for those kind of skills because it has made it much easier. Like, I think it does get easier every year, even if you are using different portfolio systems, to just be in that nature of, like, logging what you've done, reflecting on what you've done, building on what you've done and making it more like a, a journey, I suppose. Yeah, precisely. And I think generally in life... Unfortunately, we do have to evidence everything we do. And even now, taking a year outside of uh, full-time medicine, you realise that the skills you get from knowing how to properly evidence your achievements is really beneficial. So, for example, for me, with coding, often if you want to get an internship or a job in something involving tech, it's it's about what code you've written and what projects you've done. And so there's the equivalent, which is GitHub, which is a free online site, which is like a portfolio. And if you're good at using that and you know how to evidence what you can do, again, you'll get further in your life. So it's a really valuable skill. And the sooner you learn it, the better. And what kind of, I guess, top tips would you give to people who are doing their Horus? So I think, firstly, you you don't need to constantly be on your Horus. You don't need to constantly be getting evidence. And you don't need to worry too much, say, about 
how often you fill it in. You, you don't really have to do it that many times in each rotation. What I think is more important actually is, especially early on, is knowing what you need to eventually put in it, which means that when the opportunities do come in work and you find something that is um, useful and that you could have the evidence, you can pounce on it and actually turn it into something worthwhile. So an example I thought of in my F1 was one morning at handover, the consultant just spontaneously sat down um, and it was on an endocrinology job and basically went through the blood tests of a patient who had quite a rare endocrine disease and explain why all the bloods were why they were and I picked up hang on a minute this could be a case-based discussion and she didn't do it for a case-based discussion I didn't ask for it as a case-based discussion but it was a case-based discussion so at the end I just asked her do you mind if I send you a ticket for that and she said yes and it was great so it required no effort it fit into the day-to-day working of my job which is very busy as I'm sure everyone will appreciate and so it, it meant that you could it, by knowing what you need to do, it means you can make the most of the opportunities that come naturally out of work rather than having to force them. So that would be one one tip. The second thing is I wouldn't worry too much about how exciting or glamorous your portfolio is. As long as you're demonstrating the core concepts, I think beyond that it doesn't really matter. I certainly felt as an F1, for example, I hadn't come across a cardiac arrest for quite a long part of my F1. I think it was almost near the end of my second rotation. It was the first time I encountered it. And I knew of other F1s who were first to the scene, who who put out the crash call, who did all this exciting stuff, you know, gave calcium gluconate to a hyperkalemic patient. And I felt jealous in a way that I didn't have something exciting about how I acutely managed a patient. But it doesn't matter at the end of the day. As, as long as you can reflect on your experiences, everyone is going to come out of the two years or one year with a different experience. And it's just about making the most of what you experience rather than worrying if you've had a better or worse or more more or less exciting story than someone else. The last thing I would say is reflections are your best friend, especially in the month leading up to ARCP. The good thing about the reflections on the portfolio, at least as far as I know up until last year, is that you can write a reflection for any rotation at any time in the year. So you can write a reflection about your first week of a doctor in the week leading up to ARCP. Now, of course, it's good to write genuine reflections. It's good to, they are a valuable tool and it's not something that should be abused in your ARCP. But when you come to the end of the year and you are looking to fill in the gaps to make sure that you map all of the different sections, um, you can use reflections, and I certainly use reflections as a way of filling in the gaps with things that I had reflected about, and I, yeah, I had genuinely reflected about, but I don't reflect by writing, so the effort of writing it in my portfolio was an extra step that I only wanted to take if it was worthwhile, and so I waited until later on in the year when I felt that I didn't have anything else, or I didn't have much else to say for that piece of evidence, and then I used the reflections as a tool basically to fill in the gaps with ARCP. Yeah, no, I think that's really good advice as well because there are quite a lot when you come to the end of the year where you, you look at those HLOs and it's like, maybe it's inappropriate to contact that consultant or registrar to complete a ticket at that stage. It's mm-hmm. quite close to ARCP, even if you have an experience in mind that fits it. But if you mm-hmm. reflect about that same experience, you can still map it and it still fills a gap. So yeah. it works well. And yeah, and then I guess just going back to your first point about 
kind of knowing what you need to evidence those opportunities naturally will come up like I recently had an experience where I was sort of liaising with ITU about an unwell patient on the ward and my reg was in the room but was more in the sort of acute management of the unwell patient rather than doing the communication side but afterwards was like oh that was really good handover well done you covered all the points and I suddenly in my head like this light went off about like continuity of care as one of the HLOs and I was like oh do you mind if I send you a ticket and it was honestly literally just a ticket about handing over because that's continuity of care and it wasn't about actually managing this acutely unwell patient because I had a very peripheral role in the actual management but yeah really interesting okay and then last question Jess so we're putting this episode out at this critical point in the year because I feel like especially for F1s it's getting towards the end of your first rotation I remember going to my clinical supervisor at the end of my first rotation and her being like where's your PDP where's your curriculum mapping where's your curriculum summary narrative you haven't done a tab and I was like I don't understand what any of these words mean and she was like go away you've got one week left on this placement come back to me afterwards and I will sign you off even when you have all of these things and obviously that made me very stressed and I feel Mm -hmm. like that's probably not an uncommon experience because we do get some teaching about Horus in induction but it's a bit variable and if you miss that session or you weren't quite like on top of things at the time it can really pass you by and it's not that intuitive to use what advice would you give to an F1 who maybe hasn't touched Horus yet? So I would advise you to probably touch it. <laughs> <laughs> because some sign-offs are urgent. But I do think that it's worth looking at it yourself. Because you do... So in my F2, I had the exact same thing where I was told, where's your PDP? Where's this? Where's that? You haven't written this. You haven't written that. And as an F2 and you know, having done F1 and, and being fine with the portfolio and quite on top of it, I was less stressed by it, but it still, I still had the, the threat of not getting my sign off. So it can be quite stressful. And, and then some other people here might have the experience where their supervisor doesn't even know the word Horus. Um, one of my F1 supervisors um, couldn't remember their login quite often when we <laughs> did it. And I essentially had to navigate them through the Horus system to sign off. So you can really get a huge spectrum um, in terms of supervisors. So I think it's good to be independent and not don't depend on your supervisor, basically, um, when you're when you're coming up to sign off time. Know what's urgent tabs. If you haven't done one, the time might already be too late to do a tab. But basically, my advice with tabs is try and get it done as soon as possible. Always ask way more people than you need for your tab. But don't panic if you haven't got it. I actually, my first tab for my first F1 rotation, I didn't get enough people. So I had to do it again in my second one. And it was really frustrating because I'd got lots of people. I'd given it loads of time, but I think I was one short and it didn't count. So that can feel quite ruthless, but don't panic. The point of it only needing to be one and you have three opportunities to do it. So don't panic if either it's come out and there's something you need to work on or if you didn't reach the required number you've got time in terms of everything else just yeah everything has a a different timeline so just make sure you know the different timelines things like educational supervisor and clinical supervisor meetings obviously you need those for each so just make sure you get them done the tab the psg make sure they're done especially the psg because that's out of your hands unfortunately and so just keep pushing for it and make sure it definitely happens because at the end of the day it's your arcp not your supervisor's arcp and 
you're the one who gets the stick if it's not there. So you need to do you do need to take some ownership for it. Um, whether that should or shouldn't be the case, it's the reality. Um, and then with everything else, you know, the mapping and the writing the summaries, you don't need to worry too much about that until the end. I would say the only thing that you should keep in mind is, for example, my last F1 job was a psychiatry job so I wasn't going to be acutely managing medically unwell patients unless I did a locum therefore if I had not mapped things to that section of the curriculum in my first two jobs then I was going to be in trouble in my last job so my one piece of advice would be that make sure you have in your mind the order of the rotations and the nature of the rotations and if there's a certain rotation that lends towards a certain criteria just make sure that you definitely get something during that job for it otherwise yeah mapping summaries you can you can do them along the way if you're a person who's like that but if you're someone who just wants to do it at the end and summarize then I think that's uh, equally as valid of way of doing it for sure great um thanks so much Jess for your time um and yeah good luck to everyone navigating Horace please do send through any further questions or feedback and as I said earlier in the episode description you'll find tons of links to the sort of formal UKFP guidance on how to complete Horace they've got some really great examples and so definitely suggest having a look through them as well as reaching out to your supervisors and reaching out to your postgrad team